seeking fulfillment. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. When you think about it, we're really all on a journey of some kind, a journey of fulfillment. Whether it's acceptance, pleasure, excitement, or spiritual peace, our daily actions are guided by the kind of fulfillment that we're seeking. Sometimes the gratification we experience is short-lived, and we find ourselves quickly in need of another fix soon after our experience. These kinds of gratifications are usually shallow, kind of superficial fulfillments that may come across as addictions if we kind of need them often or seek them frequently. Other kinds of gratifications are deep and impactful, and they stay with us a long time. These can be foundational to our personal nature, and they tend to need cultivation. Of course, we usually find ourselves drawn to an array of sources of gratification, and sometimes they conflict with each other. For example, short-term elation might come at the cost of long-term struggles, as in the case of maybe alcohol or substance abuse, where the euphoria sought through the consumption of addictive substances can sometimes come at the expense of personal health and family relationships, economic stability, and, and other facets of life that we generally think are important to cultivate. On the other hand, dealt denial, denial rather, or abstaining from certain short-term gratifications is sometimes necessary to experience the satisfaction of achieving a long-term goal. There are many examples of this where a personal desire might be set aside that's important for an achievement to take place. So, of course, these are simple observations that we learn early in life. But we also find it quickly gets hard and complicated in our daily endeavors to fulfill our desires. Yes, we know abstaining from certain foods and regularly exercising are important, fulfilling the lifelong goal of good health. But it's also considered reasonable to have a cheat day now and then, especially when we're overwhelmed by the demands of a demanding day or a demanding period. There also may be something that we seek that seems perfectly legitimate at the time, but we later may discover it wasn't such a good idea, or at least our approach to acquiring that objective turned out to be problematic. This was the case for Moses and the Israelites at Rephaim. After the Israelites had passed through the Red Sea, after they had left Egypt, they traveled through the wilderness of Shur for three days before coming to Marah, where they found themselves without clean water. So they complained. And then after complaining to Moses, who complained to God, God showed Moses how to make clean water using a piece of wood that he threw in the water. And after getting their fill of clean water, they set out from Marah and went to Elim, where they found even more clean water. And from Elim, they set out into the wilderness of sin, where they started running out of food this time. Again, the Israelites complained to Moses, saying they regretted following him out of Egypt and into the wilderness where they would surely die of starvation. And again, God heard their cries and responded by giving them quail to eat in the evening 
and manna in the morning. All this was fine for a while until they journeyed to Rephidim, where they started running out of water again. So this is where in our Old Testament story, the story picks up. The Israelites asked Moses, why did he drag them out into the wilderness where they would surely die of dehydration? And Moses, who saw himself as God's messenger, said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Moses seems to be saying that he was only the messenger delivering instructions from God. This wasn't his idea, God's idea. He was just doing what he was told to do by God. According to Moses, the complaints and insults leveled at him were flying into the face of God. Again, God listened to the cries of the Israelites and addressed their complaints. God directed Moses to go ahead of the people, along with several of the elders of Israel, and strike a rock, the rock of Horeb, with the same staff that he used to turn the Nile into blood back in Egypt. But this time, instead of producing undrinkable water, the staff will be used to create a source of clean water, which could satisfy the thirst of the Israelites in the desert. Moses follows God's instruction and, as expected, a clean source of water flowed from the rock. Now, we need water to survive, so this doesn't seem like a frivolous request. But the way the events unfolded were apparently problematic. As you may recall, Moses and the rest of the Israelites journeyed throughout the wilderness for 40 years before they came to the promised land. And aside from a couple of individuals, nearly the entire generation that left Egypt and wandered in the wilderness was never allowed to enter the promised land, including Moses. According to scripture, one reason that Moses was not permitted to enter the promised land was because of the events in and around Arabah. There's another storytelling of this in Numbers. It's another version. It concludes by explaining that the reason the Israelites could not enter the promised land was because of their lack of trust in God. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, we read, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. The gratification sought by Moses and the Israelites, the quenching of their thirst, is a legitimate pursuit that's needed for survival. But the way they achieved it ultimately created problems. Each time they encountered trouble after leaving Egypt, they complained and doubted the trustworthiness of God. In response, God addressed their concerns and gave them what they needed to survive. But as soon as another new problem arose, they doubted God again. Our scripture passage says that they tested God. As you may recall, the figure in the Bible who tests others is Satan. It was Satan who tested Job's faithfulness to God. And it was Satan who tested Jesus while he was in the desert for 40 days after his baptism. One of the temptations Satan presented to Jesus 
involved taking him to the top of the temple so that Jesus could test God by jumping off the top of the temple and see if the angels would save him. Of course, Jesus didn't fall for it. Did that? Okay. But the Israelites in the wilderness seemed to test God over and over and over. Now, is this something that we do? Is this something we do in our search for gratification? Do we bargain with God? God, if you'll only give me this promotion at work, I'll start devoting myself more fully to your work in this world. If you'll only cure this debilitating health problem, then I'll be in a better mood and I'll start actively sharing your love with others. If you'll only resolve the relationship issues in my life, then I'll start working on my relationship with you. This kind of bargaining reflects lack of trust in God's promise to care for us. And it fosters the delusion that we can somehow manipulate God. Success in our work and good health and meaningful relationships are commendable areas of life to seek gratification. But seeking fulfillment of those needs by negotiating with God or focusing only on our own interests will ultimately leave us unfulfilled in other important ways. Just as Moses and Aaron and most of the Israelites who traveled throughout the wilderness for 40 years, they were not able to achieve the goal of entering the promised land. We can also get by in life while missing out on some of the most important goals that we see. Real fulfillment comes from having a deep, trusting relationship with God. And this is one of the key messages that Jesus offered to the a Samaritan woman there at a well. In today's passage from the Gospel of John, Jesus initiates a discussion with the Samaritan woman by asking her for a drink of water. And this simple act of vulnerability expressing a desire which she can only fulfill in that moment empowers the Samaritan woman to engage with Jesus. She asks him why he, a Jew, would dare to have a conversation with her, a Samaritan woman. And he responds by simply suggesting she could have asked him for living water in return. He goes on to describe the living water as something that gushes up inside a person, offering fulfillment of any thirst that may arise in a person's life. Still, thinking literally, the woman asks Jesus how he could possibly access this water, since he doesn't even have a bucket. But if he could share with her with this living water, she definitely wants some of it so that she would never have to come to that well again. This passage suggests it's, it's more of a midday time frame, and the woman is alone at the well as well. It's unusual for a woman to go out into the well alone in the middle of the day. Most of the women in the village would come together in the morning when it was cooler, socializing, trading conversations and stories. But this woman was different. She was treated differently. She was alone at midday in the fields and had no plans of meeting up with anyone else. Perhaps she did this regularly to avoid the snide remarks from the other women that may have been made based on what happened in her life. 
Jesus pointed out that she had already had five, five husbands, and the man she was currently living with was not her husband, something the other village women would have surely known about her. Despite the mistakes made by this woman, a foreigner whom the Jews would typically ostracize, Jesus offered her a path to true fulfillment. She, too, is welcome to join in and enjoy the living, loving grace of Christ and experience deep spiritual satisfaction. He let her know that he was the Messiah, and he was a, that the hour had come when God would no longer seek worshipers from a particular place or a particular race. Rather, God wanted worshipers who would come to God in truth and spirit in return. God offered a kind of gratification that is more than anything else that we could possibly imagine. This is the way to find the greatest possible fulfillment. Everything else is really relatively superficial. Every other gratification that we could pursue is shallower and more short-term than the satisfaction we get from developing a deeper relationship with God. Our, our relationship with God lasts longer than a lifetime, and it can have a more profound impact on daily behaviors. When spiritual fulfillment is our primary objective, we're motivated to love God and neighbor, which implies that we follow the teachings of Christ and serve God however God calls us to serve. No matter what situation we find ourselves in, we have faith in God's love for us and know that through grace, God will take care of us. So there is no need to negotiate with God. So I invite you this morning to reflect on the kind of gratification that you're seeking in life. How fulfilling will it be when you achieve your goal and how deep will your satisfaction truly go? Are you placing your needs above God's or competing with God or negotiating with God? During this season of Lent, I invite you to reflect on how you seek fulfillment, to consciously place your trust in God at the forefront of every decision that you make. Amen.